Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. So in 2018, we planted Light Church, and I remember running into someone at a coffee shop and explaining what we were doing, and they looked at me with this kind of confused notion on their face of like, what does planting a church mean? And uh, that, that phrase, planting a church, uh, comes largely from the, the language around agriculture used in the New Testament, that rather than a startup or rather than launching something, we're planting something, something that's alive and it's something that grows. And, and so five years ago, we started something, but at the same time, nothing was started. Something was really just continued. You see, the church is something much bigger than light. It's something much bigger than our region. It's a global movement now made up of two billion people who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. That began 2,000 years ago in homes, maybe like the ones you're sitting in right now, gathered with groups of people who are committing their life to the way of Jesus. And so although we are a church plant, we are, we are a part of something ancient. We are a part of something beautiful. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to spend three weeks, this being two of the three, where we talk about our unique contribution as a church, our unique personality. In the book of Revelation chapter 2, it talks about how there are these lampstands that represent each church. And so the church in Ephesus or Sardis or Laodicea. And so what's our lampstand? And so we just, um, we're talking about two different themes each week. Last week we heard um, about how our church is built around the idea of community and that in that community we have a value of contribution, that we're serving and loving and giving to one another. This week we're going to be talking about the value of conviction and the value of communion and how those two actually tie together. Um, The the idea of a church that holds the value of conviction has to do with us valuing the order of our life, valuing um, what is most true and good and beautiful that comes from somewhere. It doesn't come from within us. It comes from the Word of God and the person of Jesus. And we hold to that as followers of Jesus with conviction. And so how we teach, how we live, how we lead is from a place of conviction to the person of Jesus. And then that we're going to be talking about communion and how actually true conviction leads us into communion with Jesus. But communion is just a fancy way to think of the idea of of communing, right? Of being one with unity with Jesus, that it's our first and primary goal as followers of Jesus, which is churches, a group of people who've committed to follow Jesus, is to be with Him. It's relational, it's intimate, it's affectionate. And so we want to be talking through those two things, but let's, let's begin with conviction. Now to be a church of conviction, at first kind of hearing that seems like it kind of poses a problem because isn't that why the church is in um, the place it's in? Is because people holding so tightly to convictions? It seems 
that the narrative that we have been fed is that the church is in decline because of their beliefs, because of what they hold to. Let me just read you a few headlines that have come out recently. The Washington Post had the headline, Christianity faces sharp decline as Americans are becoming even less affiliated with religion. Newsmax said Christianity declined sharply in U.S. Agnostics grow, according to Pew Research. The Atlantic, Americans empty church problem. BeliefNet, declining Christianity, the exodus of the young and the rise of the atheism. NPR, Christians in the U.S. on decline as numbers of nuns grow, survey finds. The New York Times, big drops in shares of Americans calling themselves Christians. And the Huffington Post, America is getting less Christian and less religious, studies show. Um, as you can tell, these are from right and left side news um, editorials that are all saying the same thing. They're all pointing to Christianity is on the decline here in America. Well, a couple of thoughts. Number one, what's true is not actually may, may not be what we've been told. And secondly, the solution is not probably what we think. So first I want to just address this idea that Christianity is in decline. And although they're drawing from certain data points, I want to just kind of shed some light on that. Sean Brock from Harvard University and Landon Schnabel from Indiana University conducted a research project called the Secularization Thesis. Their thesis was built around all of these articles. This idea that we are becoming more and more secular and less religious and definitely less Christian. But one of the interesting things that their research pulled from was not just people's answer of what they believed or how they act out their belief, but it was the quality of their belief. And from their research, this is what they said. We show that rather than religion fading into irrelevance, as the secularization thesis would suggest, intense religion-strong affiliation, very frequent practice, literalism and evangelicalism is persistent. And in fact, only moderate religion in, is on the decline in the United States. So their, their language around um, moderate religion versus those who are committed said that those who treat religion moderately is in decline, but those who are passionately pursuing Jesus, who are engaging in practices of following him, are actually not only holding steady, but it's actually increasing. Pew Research Center said that the portion of religiously affiliated adults who say they regularly read scripture, share their faith with others, and participate in small prayer groups of scripture study groups have all increased modestly since 2007. In fact, they are the only major Christian group that has gained more members than it has lost, even with enough growth to keep up with or even exceed population growth. Now, this is huge. Those who are living out committed, faithful, rhythmic lives following Jesus as the only group within Christianity who's, on the, who's increasing faster than population growth, meaning that this is not in decline. This is not what we've been told. Much of the research we've been told has been surveying people who do not have a committed life following Jesus from place of conviction. Now, what's the what's the solution, right? Like, how do we? What what is what is the problem? And if we know the problem is, what's the solution? And what's so interesting is, for so many people. 
they viewed the decline of Christianity that the solution for that is actually to become people of theological compromisation. It's compromise. Well, if we just look more like the culture, if we look more like the world, then won't that actually increase and draw more people in? But interestingly enough, it seems that research is telling us that it's actually the communities and the churches that operate with conviction to the Word of God and the way of Jesus that are the ones that are actually growing. Sociologist Rodney Stark from Baylor University has spent his entire academic career studying religion in America. And his findings are astounding. What he finds is that the minute a denomination or a network or an affiliation of churches begins to compromise on their theological stance towards some sort of progressive, humanistic um, theological stance, is the minute they begin to decline. But religious movements, denominations, um, and networks of churches that hold conviction to the Word of God do not sway, but they actually continue to grow. One interesting case study is a few years back, um, there was a church called East Lake Church in Seattle. And it was, uh, when it was planted, it began to grow rapidly. We're reporting hundreds of new people every single week coming. And one week, uh, the pastor very publicly made a statement saying, If we need to consult an ancient book to know what to do when a human is standing in front of us, I think we're screwed already. And at that sermon, he just said, like, we are going to start to adjust our theology and our practice to accommodate some of the cultural pressures he was feeling. And in so doing, swaying from the conviction of the word of God and immediately, Not in a few months, but in a few weeks, the entire church imploded in and of itself. Now, that may be an extreme example, but it's actually an example that's shown true over hundreds of years. No matter what sort of Christian sect has tried to do that same thing, it's like maybe the solution is compromise. But what we find is if we're just looking at what holds true, it's actually conviction that allows the church to keep moving through generation after generation. Theodore Beza, who was... John Calvin's predecessor said this, Let it be your pleasure to remember that the church is an anvil which has worn out many a hammer. I love that. The church is an anvil that has worn out many a hammer. And so we want to talk about this idea. Three things. Number one, what does it mean to have conviction to be away or to be apart from the world? But also, what does it mean to have conviction for the world, to move towards the world? And lastly, how does conviction lead us towards communion? Firstly, when I'm giving those stats, most of you, if you're like me, you immediately start putting the idea of conviction as something of which you abstain from the world. And that's a part of what conviction is. Karl Barth in his book, Church Dogmatic, says the church exists to set up in the world a new sign which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner in which, in, and which contradicts it in a way which is full of promise. It's a signpost pointing away from the world. This is why I think the psalmist in 
In Psalm chapter 1 said this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, but whatever they do prospers. And you might be like, yeah, but what about, what about Jesus? Jesus doesn't call us away from the world. Well, actually, in John 15 it says, if the world hates you, keep it in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. So one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to convict us, right? Is to convict us of our sin. And by sin, I just mean it's we are aligning ourselves with disordered desires that look very much like a life apart from God. And so one of the first, I would say kind of the, the surface level of conviction that happens is it's a turning away from what's always been common or what's always been accepted. But here's where it becomes problematic. Oftentimes, we think conviction is only that. And so when the church only views conviction as a way to remove themselves from the world, what happens is it begins to move that trajectory and it never sees the point of it. It's only moving away in silo form. This is where we've seen extreme versions of monastic living. We've seen extreme versions of fundamentalism where it becomes this sense of it's us against them. But I, I want to remind you something. that The same world that Jesus has convicted us to live a different life from is the same world that Jesus is convicting us to love. Please hear me. Conviction is not only to move us away from impurity, but it is to move us in purity towards loving the world around us. I mean, look at look at John 3:16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I, and I think I bring up that very common scripture just as a reminder that I just hear more and more Christians celebrating a, a movement away from the world. But if, if our movement away from what feels, um, what the Bible called worldly or fleshly, is not actually reversing us to move towards love back, then we're kind of missing the purpose. And so... A couple of thoughts on that. What does it mean to have conviction for the world? Well, I think Jesus helps us with this. In, in Matthew chapter 7, he says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged with the measure you use. It will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to your plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck, the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take out the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When Jesus is using this kind of form of, of hyperbolic humor, right? He's saying that speck in your brother's eye that you want to draw attention to, you're not going to be able to do that well if there's a massive plank sitting in your eye. And so again, often on the other end, people say like, see, you can't judge me. That's not actually what the scripture says. What the scripture is saying is, in order to actually be helpful, you need to start with what's actually in your own eye first. 
And not only do you need to start with you first, you need to put in perspective that whatever you think is wrong with them, whoever th those people are, do you see in proportion what's going on in your own life with greater magnification? And that's oftentimes what I find is what's so troubling in my, in my own heart, if I'm just being honest, is I can intensify the brokenness and the sin of the world or of others while I minimize the brokenness and the sin in my own life. And Jesus, that should be reversed. He says, for conviction to work properly, it needs to elevate and increase and magnify the things in our own life that are, that are actually robbing us from our ability to be helpful and healed. So that, not so that we can just be well and good, but so that we can actually be a part of the process of removing specks from people's eyes. Fleming Rutledge in his book, The Bottom of the Night, says this, Whenever we are sure that we are among the righteous, we immediately find ourselves among the arrogant. Um, about 100 years ago, the New York Times issued a writing prompt uh, to their readers. And the writing prompt was this, what is wrong with the world? And anyone was able to kind of uh, submit their, their paper or their article back. And G.K. Chesterton, the, the great Christian thinker, wrote back with this sentence, Dear Sir, I am. And that was the entire letter. What is wrong with the world? And Chesterton just says, me. It was his awareness of not that there's a lot of brokenness going on in the world, but he says, I'm actually a contributor to it. Now, the reason I'm bringing all that up is that as a church, we need to be a people who welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But how do we do that? How, how do we avoid just becoming moralists? Or how do we become, avoid becoming self-righteous or judging? A few thoughts on how to welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Number one, we welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our own life, especially in areas that have grown calloused or self-justified. Secondly, we see conviction as a means of moving us toward a world that Jesus loves, not primarily as a threat. And thirdly, we get our conviction from the person of Jesus, His Spirit, and His Word. So, Number one is that we just welcome the Holy Spirit in your own life. And so in terms of conviction, yes, yes, we will preach the word of God. And, and sometimes it will make us feel uncomfortable. And if, by the way, if you go to this church or if you just read your Bible, you should feel uncomfortable, not just every once in a while, but pretty often. Because if you're reading the Bible or if you're attending a church that only tells you what you want to hear, chances are, you're reading it with a skewed lens or you're reading something that was made up by another human being. But the reality that we are engaging with the divine text means that there is going to be things quite frequently. So Paul says to Timothy, Scripture is good for teaching and rebuking and correcting and encouraging, which means that there's a sense of like, Lord, I, I want to welcome that in my life. So I can guarantee you, if you are a part of this church, you will hear things that upset you that and by you it's that 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 fleshly part of you like I don't want to hear that it could be that cultural part of you of just being like well I want to belong to the world and if that's not being agitated from time to time by the word of God then we're not allowing the conviction of the Holy Spirit to to move us in that way 
Secondly, we see conviction as a means of moving us towards the world. And so, as we welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit, this is, this is I think, where a lot of people miss this, is it's not for us to then turn that into creating some sort of bar we want people to jump to, but it should move us. You see, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is to bring about our healing. And once we're healed, we can become agents of healing in the world around us. But what happened with the Pharisees is they became the religious and moralistic police. They took their way of life and their rigidity and their discipline and they blamed the people's lack of discipline, the lack of religiosity as the reason for their oppression. And so they began to treat them um, in a belittling type of way. And so as people of conviction, as a church of conviction, we need to be reckon- be very careful of this very important fact that convictions, conviction moves us towards people in love. You know the phrase, those people? I want you to think about when I say those people who come to your mind. And I want you to be able to think, how is the conviction of the Holy Spirit moving you in love towards those people that Jesus obviously loves? And by doing that, if they can meet Jesus, the Holy Spirit will then be able to do His job of welcoming the conviction for them as well. And I want to end today by but pointing out that the, the goal, right, of, of all of this conviction is to move us towards communion. But before we talk about that, how does conviction move us towards communion? I, I want to just add this one clarity point. Um, what brings conviction? Is it sermons? Is it your spouse? Um, is it culture? The Bible makes it very clear. There's a few things that bring conviction. Number one is the Holy Spirit. It's one of his jobs. Secondly, it's the Holy Scriptures, right? They transform us. And so, and then lastly, it is the person in the life of Jesus Christ. And so have the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and the life of death and resurrection of Jesus always before you and welcome that conviction. I love what Mike Bickle says of the 24-7 prayer movement. He says, you can starve to death reading the menu. Passages of Scripture read quickly or at an introductory surface level, present us with the menu, the rich food available to those who will drink deeply and meditate. Many believers only talk about the menu. Some read it and even become connoisseurs of the menu, but few actually eat from the menu. Conviction is when we don't just read the menu, we eat from the food of it. We welcome the nourishment of transformation in our life. And we see this played out, again, our last point here is how conviction leads us to communion. In this story found in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 10. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, Mary in this story 
had a conviction in her heart. She was not willing to compromise. No matter how much social pressure was on her and cultural pressure to walk alongside her sister in the preparations for a meal for a guest in a near ancient eastern culture that hospitality specifically by the woman the oldest woman in the house was so essential she in her conviction finds herself at the feet of jesus elevating herself to where only males um, culturally were allowed to sit Mary's a woman of conviction, but her conviction led her towards relationship, towards communion. Our conviction, at its best, does not only remove us from things that burden us and break us, and not only does it move us towards acts of love, but ultimate conviction moves us towards communion. It moves us like Mary to the very feet of Jesus. Hans Urs von Balthasar, great name, says this about this passage. The attention which Mary gave to Jesus sitting at his feet was by no means a personal indulgence or a pleasant daydreaming, nor was it a selective hoping for those ideas which suited her, which she felt able to translate into reality, let alone pass on to the others as her ideas. It was an entirely open-ended readiness for the word. A readiness to participate in it without preferences, without picking and choosing. It was an alert, sober attitude, attentive to the slightest indications, yet ready to embrace the, wild, the widest panoramas. I love that. I love that Mary was convicted towards communion. She moved her social and cultural status in a very dangerous way to find herself at the feet of Jesus. But do you know who else operated under conviction towards communion? It was Jesus himself towards us. Jesus carried the conviction of obedience to his Father and love for you and I. Not only would that he would leave his what was, would be appropriate for him, which for him would be his throne in heaven. But then he came down and entered into our space. Why? So that we could have communion again. Listen to what Hebrews 12 says. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's conviction, right? We run, throw off those things that are holding you back. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So he's now going to say, our example of conviction is Jesus. What did he do? For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, considering him who in, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love that. Jesus is our picture of conviction because his conviction moved him towards communion with us. And when we get conviction right, it removes us from the brokenness of the world. It moves us in love towards the world and ultimately in communion with our Creator. That's why conviction and communion are so important. And so what we'll do as a church is we 
are unwavering in our conviction to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the person of Jesus Christ. We have practices and rhythms and open tables all to orient us around those things, but all of that is geared towards what? Not just for us to hibernate away from the world, but for us to be motivated and move towards those who are hurting, and ultimately to be reconciled to Christ, to be with Jesus like Mary at his feet. Would our conviction move us towards communion in Christ? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much that you model for us what it is to live a life of conviction. Obedience to your Father. Joyful surrender and love towards us. And Lord, we want to be the same way. We want to We want to be a people of conviction, Lord Jesus, who do what you ask of us. When we're prompted by the Holy Spirit, when we're confronted by the Word of God, and when we're compelled by the life and the person and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, move us out of what's normal and calloused and comfortable. Transform us. And Lord, we recognize we are not being changed just for us to become more rigid or moral or right. We're being changed into becoming richer relationally with you, right with you, holy unto you, Lord God. So I pray that you would move deeply in our church in terms of conviction right now. Lord, we just welcome you, Holy Spirit. There's areas in our life that need conviction, planks in our eyes that are in un or in not enabling us to be able to remove specs from others, would you remove that right now? And Lord, I pray that we would continue to be a church of communion, a church, Lord Jesus, that values being with you above all else, because that's where we come alive, and that is where all of this is moving towards. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.